the developer's got to ask himself a question. So if I was to take this transaction now to a non, non-bank non lender or a private lender where they'll essentially allow me to pretty much get started right away, by the time I would have got all of my pre-sales, I could potentially have this project finished and I could start my sell down. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? At the time of this recording, Australia is in a kind of lockdown due to the coronavirus, so life has changed dramatically for many of us in the last few weeks. We're spending more time at home and there's a huge amount of uncertainty floating around. So I hope you're well and coping as best you can. I'll be bringing you some episodes about how you can use this period as an opportunity to set yourself up for growth. So keep an ear out for them in the coming weeks, including a discussion with past guest Byron Saka about leading through adversity. In the meantime, perhaps you have a bit more time to listen to podcasts, read books and work on those tasks you've been putting off for ages. On the project front, we're in the final stages of our construction funding application, so we should find out this week whether we've been given the final green light to establish our facility. With all the uncertainty around at the moment, it would be good to get that facility in place and move into construction mode. Keeping in mind that completion is some time away and we should be in a different place economically and health-wise, but only time will tell. I've begun requesting abolishment of services in readiness for the demolition, so it's action stations with lots to do. On the other project, we're still in the documentation phase with a view to starting construction later in the year. Before we get to today's guest, don't forget we have the mentoring program available to help you get started in property developing. If you've always wanted to become a developer but don't know where to start or have fears about getting it wrong, then the program is an ideal way to learn the ropes and have someone hold your hand along the way. Email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com to find out more. Okay, on to today's guest, commercial finance specialist Fabian DeMarco from Commercial and Construction Capital. We are talking all things private lending. With the growth in the sector over the past few years, there are many new players in the capital markets and lots of developers are turning to a source of finance that just a few years ago was more of an exotic species than mainstream. But all that has changed as lending restrictions have kicked in and banks have reduced their exposures and risk appetites. Fabian is a seasoned debt placement specialist with 19 years of experience in property development finance, including land and construction finance through senior debt, mezzanine debt, preferred equity and joint venture funding. Fabian also has experience in funds management, financial markets and retail banking, having held senior roles with well-known banks, hedge funds and money managers. We talk about the pros and cons of private funding, some of the pitfalls to look out for, and when is the best time to use private capital which may grow even more over the coming years, depending on what happens after the coronavirus has passed. So you might be considering this funding avenue for your next project. We haven't had a private capital conversation on the show before, so I was looking forward to hearing about how it can work for you. I started off by asking Fabian what food he would eat until he was sick, and it turns out we share the same love. Look, uh, I think I'm a sucker for pizza. Oh yes, that's my go-to as well. Yeah. Uh, I think we're a bit spoiled for choice uh, for for good pizza at the moment uh, in Sydney. That's for sure. Um, it seems every every second day there's a new uh, new pizzeria opening up uh, with uh, traditional stuff. So yeah, definitely pizza. I think. And what's your go-to toppings? I like to keep it simple. 
um, traditional. Um, I like uh, margarita uh, with eggplant. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, with pizza, it's it's one of those things that the traditionalists will tell you less is more. <laughs> Yes, I remember in my early days just wanting to pile on as many toppings as I could on a pizza. Oh, yes. No pineapple. pineapple <laughs> forbidden. <laughs> no, I don't mind a bit of pineapple on pizza. Actually, yeah, I had a good good pizza on the weekend, so I went down oh, a yeah. treat. It's like pulled pork one. It was uh, pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get pretty creative these days. <laughs> now, Fabian, we're here today to talk about commercial and construction capital and Private lending. Can you give us a bit of a background on yourself and how you got into the finance game? Yeah, certainly. So, look, um, my background uh, is is primarily financial services. Um, I got into financial services probably around the age of nineteen twenty. Um, <clears throat> prior to that, <clears throat> sorry. Prior to that, I was uh, an aspiring professional athlete. Um, I used to play uh, soccer uh, at a, a semi-professional level. Um, up to about the age of 18, 19, I played with, uh, with some ex-socceroos uh, and, and was doing quite well with it. Um, but once I got to the age of 18, 19, uh, I quickly realized that uh, my focus was more on uh, socializing than it was <laughs> inputting the hard yards, uh, hard yards into training. <clears throat> so I, um, I quickly realized that uh, I better uh, get myself a new career. Um, and, and sort of stumbled into finance uh, on the retail lending side of things. Um, I sort of worked my way up through, through a bit of credit uh, assessment uh, and then eventually into to lending uh, and, and spent uh, a number of years uh, with, with some of the major banks. Uh, and then about six, six odd years ago, I, I decided to, uh, to venture out and start a, a brokerage um, and been uh, doing that and enjoying it ever since. And then you focused more on the commercial side of things, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So about about a year ago, I, I noticed a bit of a, a gap in the market in the sense that um, banks were, were really starting to, to sort of pull out of that construction uh, and commercial space a little bit. Um, they were getting a lot more uh, stringent with their their covenants and 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 their requirements, uh, and a lot of developers uh, were being sort of, I suppose, forced into looking at other alternatives. And and private funding uh, was was really the only option for these guys. So um, I decided to actually rebrand and and become a specialist uh, broker in the private funding space. So we we now only deal. Uh, with private lenders. Um, we've got relationships with, with a number of them. Um, we also work very closely with other brokers as well. So we have uh, a, a broker channel that, uh, where we actually work together with brokers in getting these deals placed and settled uh, in that private funding space. So that's, that's pretty much all we concentrate on now. So we, we make it our business uh, day in, day out to, to really understand the, the landscape and terrain of the private space. And before we get to the private lending sector, what was your what's your view around why the banks pulled back from providing a lot of that commercial capital? Look, there, there's probably a number of reasons. Uh, I, I'd say what all sort of kicked it off was uh, you know a little bit of pressure they started getting from APRA, uh, where a lot of their lending practices were, were starting to. 
are supposed to be looked at. Um, the Royal Commission uh, also shone, shone a light on uh, on on lending, which uh, which also made them sort of reconsider. Uh, that coupled with the fact that uh, the property market itself started to to sort of take a, a bit of a downturn, uh, as you sort of uh, will, will remember from from about twelve months ago. Uh, so that sort of meant that uh, you know transactions in the past where maybe they had no no hesitation in in approving and funding because they knew that you know property prices were were going to continue to sort of rise over the next 12, 24 months. All of a sudden, now they're they're very hesitant and 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 really thinking about whether you know a project uh, in twelve months' time or twenty four months' time <clears throat> is going to end up in trouble, uh, and they're going to end up holding uh, something that they don't want. Uh, so they're they're sort of just becoming a little bit more conservative. Uh, I mean, they're definitely still lending in that space, but um, sort of use a bit of uh, an example. You know that you may find now that uh, a typical banker has ten deals on their desk. Whereas before, maybe you know, seven of those ten would get funded. Now they're probably cherry picked two or three uh, with the strongest fundamentals, and and maybe those three get funded, and and the rest sort of uh, have to find a new home. Which leads us to <coughs> private funding. Or can you give us a bit of a, a definition, or how, how would you describe private lending, or private capital? How do you describe it? Yeah. So look. Um, I suppose the main difference between uh, suppose traditional bank lending to, to private lending uh, is that private lending is essentially funded by investors, private investors in the background. Uh, and, and typically, they, they will invest into a mortgage fund, uh, and then you, you have a fund manager uh, that sort of lends that money out on behalf of those investors. So... Where I suppose there's there's a, a little bit of a difference between the two is with private, you you have a lot more flexibility around the terms. So you can potentially negotiate terms such as the LVR, the rate, uh, you know, pre-sale levels, things like that. Um, whereas with a bank, they're pretty stringent on their their requirements. You either fulfil them or you don't. Uh, whereas with private private lending, there's a lot more flexibility. Um, you know, each deal is sort of a case-by-case scenario. And depending on sort of how strong fundamentals are about a deal, uh, you can potentially negotiate better terms. Okay. And so, what are the <clears throat> what are the kind of key points that you would look to be negotiating on? Yeah. So, look, I mean, price, pricing is, is one thing. Um, you know, the, the other thing you, you want to look at is LVRs. So LVRs, for, for those listeners out there, and I'm sorry, I apologize if I use a bit of finance jargon uh, <laughs> when I talk, uh, but that's that's your loan-to-value ratios. So, uh, for example, you know, uh, a bank will traditionally only lend up to 50% against a, a, a land development site, for example. So if, if a, a developer is buying a, a development site that's that's land, They'll typically only lend 50% of that, which means the developer's got to come up with 50% equity uh, themselves, which can be a pretty substantial chunk. Uh, in the private space, you know, d- depending on on you know how strong the sponsor is, uh, how strong the the construction project uh, is that that's going to follow, you could potentially negotiate that loan to value ratio up to 65%. Uh, now, naturally, that higher risk 
uh, does come with a, a slightly higher rate. Um, but it's horses for courses. You know, the, the developer may find that that additional equity that he keeps in his pocket for now can be used to fund his planning or his DA costs. Um, so uh, it may work better for, for them to, to pay a slightly higher rate, but uh, it allows them to sort of move the needle along uh, a lot further down the track uh, a lot quicker. And I'm interested to know a little bit about the mechanics of how a, f- a financier would calculate that risk assessment and then come up with the pricing for, for the loan? Um, look, I don't think there there's a specific calculator that they they use. So it, it is a bit horses for courses. Uh, so there are a number of factors that can influence the pricing of a commercial or a construction deal. Um, let, let's just concentrate on construction for for this example. Uh, so you've got you know the the experience of the developer uh, is one. You've got the the strength of their balance sheet of that developer. So when I say strength of their balance sheet, for example, if you've got a developer that's building, let's say they're building, you know, a project that's, you know, gross realization value of, of 50 million and, and they're looking to borrow maybe 30 million, but their balance sheet, uh, as in their, their assets and liabilities on paper shows that they've only got a, a property worth 500,000. So that that's a bit of a red flag. Uh, and and it's it's not really adding to the strength of the transaction. Uh, if anything, it, it probably really hurts the transaction. Um, so then you've got also things like the pre-sales level. So how many pre-sales does the project have uh, at the time of, of the funding uh, approval? Um, so there's a number of different factors that, that will sort of influence the pricing. Now, the ideal scenario is that a developer is able to demonstrate that they're, they're strong on all those aspects. You know, they've got a healthy balance sheet. Um, they've brought to market two or three projects uh, similar size uh, in the past. Um, <clears throat> they, they may have some pre-sales under their belt. Um, and just touching on pre-sales, so one thing that uh, I think it's important that developers maybe think about is sometimes it's not so much about having pre-sales to show that you have debt cover. What a pre-sale does, uh, and and not just one, but a a few uh, pre-sales do, is that it demonstrates an appetite for the stock in the market. And it sets a bit of a benchmark as well for pricing uh, in terms of value. So when you present a transaction with zero pre-sales, um, a lender can potentially get a little shy in the sense that there's no demonstrated track record for that stock to be sold. So they have no idea whether the market will receive it, uh, whether it will move if they need to sell it. Uh, where, whereas there's, when there's a few pre-sales already underway, it shows that the project's received well by market, uh, there's appetite there, uh, and it sets a bit of a benchmark for, for the conversation. Now, that being said, there, there are plenty of uh, funders out there that will consider no pre-sales finance. So, again, it's not a, a be-all and end-all. Uh, it's, it's just uh, it helps you tick that box uh, in terms of being able to negotiate sharper pricing, that's all. Because mm. what do you do in a situation where, and I think this is current at the moment, where 
off the off the plan sales are still pretty challenging to get. Uh, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne, in my own experience. Yeah. But there does seem to be healthy demand for completed stock. Yeah. People so, are nervous about buying off the plan for yeah you know, for whatever reasons. Yeah. So look, I mean that that seems to be a common theme as well down uh, or up here in Sydney, um, and 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 also I'd say in Brisbane as well. Um, so, I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, that, that probably falls more on the side of uh, the marketing experts uh, than the sales agents. But, I mean, I, I try to put myself always in the position of an investor if I was looking to buy uh, a property off the plan. I mean, would I personally buy something off the plan right now? Um, I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd say what I would do. Uh, is probably do a little bit more research in the developer in their past projects to make sure that they have brought projects to market on time, on budget, um, you know, that they've executed. Um, and that should give you comfort around being able to execute on a pre-sale. Um, and and if, on the flip side, if I was a developer, they're the sort of things I'd be having my marketing and sales team highlight um, that, you know, your, your track record, um, you know, it's it, it's it's fundamental in in sort of gaining trust in the market by being able to present your track record. Now, it's a bit of a catch twenty two if you're starting out, but uh, it's quite important uh, if if you're sort of trying to to move stock and and get things uh, sold before you've come out of the ground. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be highlighting that track record that you've done it before that you have delivered uh, to investors. Uh, and and that things have gone smoothly. Uh, that's probably the most fundamental thing. And what sort of size projects are we talking about here that you would then look to move from bank finance into private finance? Oh, look, there really there's no sort of limit um, in terms of the private funding market. There's probably about three tiers. Of, of lending that, that happens in that private space. And, you know, you've got the first that could be anywhere from 150000 uh, up to $2 million. And then you've got another group of lenders that will probably sit in that $2 million to, say, $10 million space. And then you've got uh, another group that sort of won't get out of bed for anything uh, more less than $10 million. Um, and they, they could go up to anywhere to $500 million. So the, it, it, the private space sort of covers a wide variety. Um, obviously, the, the larger the transaction, um, the more due diligence that goes on. Um, but that being said, uh, there, there's still um, some, some pretty able lenders uh, in that larger space as well that, that can put together some pretty good uh, structures. And so what sort of projects or the people that are coming to see you are they saying look we feel like we've got a really strong project we've got a couple of pre-sales but we can't get a hundred percent debt cover we really want to get started and we think we'll make it up along the way and we're looking for an alternative finance source is that what yeah. you're saying yeah that's right so th- there's probably two t- typical uh, uh types of transactions we see we see the developers that um they're purchasing a site and as I was sort of saying before, they, they don't really want to put 50% equity into the site up front right now. 
Um, they sort of acknowledge that they'll probably put some more equity in a bit later on. But at this point, they don't want to put the full 50% in. Um, they also can't demonstrate serviceability. Uh, so what serviceability means is that uh, when you fund through a bank, they will typically uh, do a debt servicing on your whole position. So they'll look at all of your debts, all of your expenses, uh, all of your monthly repayments, uh, and they'll make sure that you've got enough income on paper in your tax returns to be able to service that debt. Now, sometimes a developer's income can be quite lumpy. So you know, one year's tax return could be very, very low, if, if not anything, could even show a loss. When the next year could, could have large profits uh, and, and it gets very difficult to show serviceability with financials like that. So we'll have developers that come to us to say, look, can you just land bank this for us at, you know, 60% LVR or 55 or, or even up to 65? Um, I just want to capitalize the interest for 12 months uh, so that we can do our planning, get our DA, and then uh, exit out into a construction loan. Uh, so that's that's typical of a, a, a land bank transaction that we'll see. Um, on the construction side, um, probably the, the the most common is is pre-sales at the moment. So to give you an example, in a if you were to go to a bank, they're going to give you much sharper pricing. Your, your setup costs are going to be lower. Your turnaround time for settlement is probably going to be much longer, and more importantly, they're going to really impose that you you have close to 100% debt cover in pre-sales before they will draw down your your first dollar of of construction funding. Now, <clears throat> to get those pre-sales, that could take you six to 12 months, especially in a market like this. So, you know, the developer's got to ask himself a question. So if I was to take this transaction now to a non, non-bank lender or a private lender where they'll essentially allow me to pretty much get started right away, by the time I would have got all of my pre-sales, I could potentially have this project finished and I could start my sell down. So when you weigh it up like that, the, the higher pricing that you'll pay on the private space will most likely be subsidized or covered by your speed to market. So the, bearing in mind the developer, once they draw down on the no pre-sales construction finance, they can essentially start selling off the plan. And, and what you'll find is with pre-sales, once you're out of the ground, people will probably tend to come and more freely and, and look to purchase off the plan. Whereas when you're just uh, a vacant land lot, with a sign up the front, uh, people are very cautious, investors. But once they see construction actually going, cranes on site, things coming out of the ground, uh, you'll find that pre-sales are, are probably a lot easier to achieve. Um, so, you know, there's a good chance through the private uh, lending option, the developer may have the full debt cover by the time construction's even completed. So it, it, it will just be a matter of then uh, settling all the, the pre-sales, paying out the facility, and, and they move on. And so are you seeing that movement from a land banking facility then rolling over into a construction facility? Is it, is it often with the same lender or do you tend um, to find a different yeah. product? Look, uh, there are times where we'll sit with the same lender 
Um, there'll be other times where the flexibility of a particular lender on a land bank, um, but that particular lender may not do construction. However, their pricing and terms uh, for this particular transaction are, are, are sharper. Uh, so they may look at two, we may look at two different lenders, one for the land bank, one for the construction. Um, so it, 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 it depends, it, it can vary. Um, there's no sort of hard and fast rule. Normally what we try to do, if, if it's a close, so if, if the land bank period is, is only going to be a short period, a two to three month period where they just need to finalise some things for their DA, we'll always try and place that with the same lender that will do the construction. Uh, but if you're talking 12, 12 months of planning DA still, um, sometimes uh, it, 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 there is a better option maybe just with a, a straight out land bank lender uh, and then we, we look to move them over. Listeners, I'm speaking with Fabian DeMarco from Commercial and Construction Capital. And Fabian, I've got a question for you about some of the risks that developers need to be aware of when they're dealing with these private capital uh, operators. Obviously, if you're going and talking to a bank, you can feel pretty confident that they're not going to go under or that they're going to pay their bills once you've reached an agreement. Is there a risk uh, when you're dealing with what could be an unknown provider that they'll go bust or that they won't pay their bills on time? Look, there, there certainly is uh, risks, and and I would be uh, I would be speaking inaccurately if I if I didn't say that. Um, when I say risks, um, I suppose the first first thing that that would come to mind is that the private lending market, uh, and when I say private lending, I'm I'm referring to the commercial side of things, commercial and construction. It's unregulated, so. Essentially, what that means is you've got a group of lenders that really don't have any sort of compliance or regulation that they need to. I mean, there are compliance standards, but in terms of uh, a, a watchdog or, or someone that, that they have to report regularly to and, and disclose all of their information and how they're, they're transacting, uh, it, it's, it's highly unregulated. So... What that means is the bulk of these lenders do operate um, to the highest of standards, but there are a number of lenders in this space, uh, which I, I, I won't name any if, if you can ask me to because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to do that. But there are a number of lenders in this space that uh, some of them uh, are, are, are quite, I, I don't want to say fraudulent, but they can operate within lines but if you if you take one one step to the right of that line where you shouldn't whether you know it or not you you you'll get clobbered uh, so you know there, there's things like default interest rates uh, that are applicable that uh, you probably don't hear too much about that in in bank land because if if you default in the bank uh, you know they'll they'll give you two or three months to sort of rectify things before uh, anything gets serious um, you know there, there's some Private lenders that you know, if if you miss a payment, for example, if there's a payment that needs to be made and it's it's missed by by one day, you know they they will jack your rate up for a month, you know double, for example, and you'll have to pay that full month of interest uh, at at a double the interest rate because you missed your payment by one day. Um, that being said, there's, there's some lenders that will will give you a grace period. You know that. You can talk to them. You can reason to, with them. Uh, so 
it's it's highly unregulated, um, and and the best example, which I, I think I, I mentioned to you before, is um, the the private lending space. It's kind of like entering into a, a country that you you have no idea how business works there. Uh, it, it's a rough rough environment. Uh, you don't know the landscape. You don't know who you can talk to, who you can't talk to, and as a developer, if you're trying to enter into that marketplace and figure out who's who. Who you should who you should talk to, who you shouldn't talk to, where you can go, where you can't. It's it's very dangerous, and, and there's a high chance that you potentially are going to lose some some money doing it that way. Uh, so we try to act almost like the fixer, if if you if you will, uh, for the developers entering into that that terrain. So it's it's a new environment. We understand the environment. We understand which lenders will suit which projects best. Uh, and we act as that conduit, uh, I suppose, um, because the truth of the matter is uh, uh, I'm not proclaiming that I knew all of this from day one. Uh, a lot of this was was learned the hard way uh, over years of experience uh, and, and building relationships with certain lenders over multiple transactions. Uh, so after a while, you, you begin to understand how a particular lender operates, what their turnaround times are, how do they treat uh, defaults, how do they treat customers? Uh, and I suppose o- over a period of time, we've, we've sort of developed our own sort of internal panel of lenders that we, we sort of grade ourselves and, and we know which ones are highly trusted, which ones are a little bit dubious and, and which ones to steer clear of. So the guys that deliver the money in the brown paper bags, they're the ones maybe to be a bit concerned about? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I've, I've had, I, I could tell you a few uh, a few stories, uh, but we'll probably leave that for off air. Yeah, send the build around. We'll give him cash for his drawdown. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's, there's a few uh, horror stories there. And so, are there projects that you wouldn't go to private lending for? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, if there is a, a developer that, for example, they they feel comfortable that they can get pre-sales. You know, their project's in a, a very desirable location. It's it's a, a boutique uh, apartment block maybe. Um, they're very confident they'll, they'll hit their pre-sales in, in a few months' time. Um, they've got sufficient equity in the deal. They're highly experienced in, in this type of project. You know, I, I would definitely be telling that developer, you know, th- this, this can fit within a bank. Um, so there's no need for you to pay higher pricing um, because – uh, everything you you sort of tick you tick the box on everything. Um, so I guess what I would say to developers before you even begin looking at your funding options and where you should go, start with uh, the end in mind and sort of see what are the most important things to you. You know, do do you do you have time to get pre sales? Um, is is achieving a sharper pricing important to you? Um, what time frame are you working with? You know, do you have ample time for settlement? Uh, are you in a rush for settlement? So, answer all of these questions, and then then I'd probably uh, engage uh, a broker or, or at least someone that that's sort of ex, uh, skilled in that that uh, area, uh, and and sort of get their feedback, um, and then you can make a decision. But um, private funding for me has always been a solution based funding model. Uh, it's it's not a, a a mainstream everyday typical transaction. 
Um, that's that's what the banks are there for, and that's why their pricing reflects that. Um, but if if for whatever reason your your project or, or your your scenario doesn't fit within a bank's metrics, uh, there are a number of other options now available. Where previously, you know, there was probably you could count on two hands how many private lenders were in the market maybe 15 years ago. Uh, now I've got a spreadsheet that's just clocked up close to 200. So as you can imagine, you know, 200 private lenders out there, that there's a good chance that whatever the restrictions are on your project, uh, there's someone amongst there that, that could probably uh, take it on. And so do you think that that market, the finance <laughs> market, is going to keep growing or do you think it'll contract a bit? Do you think the banks are going to start trying to grow their loan books a bit more or what are you projecting? Yeah. Well, this is the interesting thing. Um, there are a number of private lenders that continue to come into the market. It seems like every second day there, there's a new one that pops up. And the reason behind that and, and sort of what's driving this is the return for investors at the moment that would invest typically into these mortgage funds would be anywhere between from as low as 6% up to 12 13% return. I was looking at a study the other day on uh, rental yields on on houses uh, as of March 2020, and they're sitting at about 3.5%. So if you've got investors that are hungry for returns, that they know they can invest indirectly into property, uh, into something like a, a mortgage fund and, and attract a return of, you know, maybe an average return of 8 to 10%, uh, versus three and a half percent on a rental yield, um, it's quite attractive. So there's a lot of appetite out there. So these funds are continuing continuously growing. Um, where things are, are potentially going to get interesting is when that investor appetite shifts, and all of a sudden they don't want to invest into these mortgage funds. Now, the funds that have access to multiple lines of capital. So they may have uh, access to an institutional line. They may have uh, other investors from overseas or, or wherever. Uh, they'll, be, they'll probably be able to ride that out. But the ones that are heavily reliant on, on these direct investors, if they, if they turn away and start investing into other assets, then they may struggle to find capital, uh, which will mean you'll see a lot of them leave the market. And do you think that'll be a reflection on the state of the property market? Yeah, I think it's all sort of intertwined. Um, you know, at the moment, I mean, look, I'm not a, I don't proclaim to be an economist. Uh, I'm not a, a, a property expert by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, finance is my thing. Um, but I, I always look at fundamentals and, and, and typical things uh, like interest rates uh, at the moment. It, it's quite cheap relatively speaking compared to historical times to borrow money um, as long as rates remain low uh, people remain you know in a job um, you you can't imagine why the property market will will drop any further or stagnate um, you know I, I, I'm a historical guy I always like to look at long-term sort of uh, trends and you know it, it if you look historically, property always sort of appreciates, you know, on average around the six six to seven percent mark year on year. Um, now that that gets lumpy sometimes. You have huge 
increases in some years and then some years you'll have stagnant growth or even a drop off but you, you average it out it sort of averages there um i think that everything is is still in place uh, at the moment to to see you know steady steady growth in in the property market which means that the the financing side of it should should also continue to grow um but that being said you know there's a number of things that affect uh, a market and an economy uh, and and the most uh, i suppose visual thing at the moment is this coronavirus so you know there, there's no telling what effect this coronavirus could potentially have on global economies uh, and and when global economies uh, get in trouble uh, everything sort of just freezes so i would i would certainly be keeping a close eye on on the market um, you know, a, a mentor once said to me, you know, you, you're never going to get in trouble by just taking your time. Um, but you, you're likely to get in trouble if you're, if you're always rushing around trying to, to rush to the next thing. So, you know, at the, at the moment, um, you know, th- there's a lot of developers out there that are sort of just, you know, taking their time. They're, they're not rushing into new projects. Uh, they're sort of just letting things unfold. Uh, which I think is the smart play to to do at the moment. Well, I think as long as we've got population growth and people moving here, that should help to underpin the growth of the property market. Exactly. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and uh, I, I can't quote you exact statistics, but um, uh, I, I have uh, I have listened to a few uh, a few podcasts uh, as well that have had some property experts on there, and, and they all seem to be saying that the the rate of of migration and 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 population growth is is if anything probably uh exceeding uh the the supply of of new properties uh into the market new dwellings so uh as long as that continues to to happen uh you like to think that we'll we'll have a healthy uh building and construction uh, industry yeah, well, it's certainly not getting any easier to get permits to build places, and it's not getting any cheaper to build property. So, you can't yeah. sort of see things deteriorating too much unless there's some massive economic shock. Yeah, well, no, that's right. So, which, time will tell, I guess. Yeah, which we don't really want because that's a sign of a much bigger problem. Yeah, that's right. So, Fabian, what would be your main tip or advice that you'd give developers out there um, that are considering their debt options for their next development project? Yeah, so look, uh, I guess it's a little bit of what I touched on before, and and, and that is b- before you decide how you want to fund a project, really sit back and, and, and look at what are the, I suppose, the most important aspects to your project. So uh, is... is Timing uh, a, a critical factor, meaning how soon you're able to get out of the ground. Um, you know, is pricing. I mean, if you if you've got a project that is very tight on a profit margin, you know, you you may want to run your feasibility through a pricing model of a private funder before you elect to go down that path, because you may find that it doesn't stack up once you run it through the higher pricing. So. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that you need to consider. But, uh, yeah, I would consider, you know, first and foremost, if you can satisfy a bank's criteria and it doesn't hinder your project and, and you're confident you can do it, then I would try that option first because, obviously, it's better for you financially. 
uh, it's a regulated market. You know the banks. Um, not to say that you, you won't have issues with a bank. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of developers that have had issues with a bank. But uh, from a pricing perspective, uh, it, it's going to be much better for you. Uh, however, if there are other factors that influence your decision, uh, then I would definitely then look at alternatives. And, and the best way to sort of, as I said, is, is reach out to, to a broker, uh, someone that you know or someone that you, you, you know of uh, that can give you a, a little bit of guidance. Um, there's plenty of brokers out there that should be able to give you guidance uh, without charging you anything upfront. Uh, then once you've got a bit of guidance and, and you understand where everything sits, uh, then if you want to move forward, then you can move forward from there. And what's your thoughts on a specialist broker in this commercial area as opposed to a sort of generalist residential broker who will tell you that they can get commercial finance? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I'm, I'm all for uh, diversification in a business uh, and, and, you know, being able to sort of do many things. Um, I guess the reason why I became a specialist in this field is I sort of looked at the medical industry, to be honest, and I, I gauged it from that. And I, and I realized that if, if I've got a heart problem, I don't go to my GP. I go to a cardiologist because that's their specialty. That's all they do. Day in, day out, they look at hearts. They, they, they operate on hearts. They understand how a heart works. So there's no distraction for them. That's all they do. Um, so if I was going to put my project in the hands of a broker, I want to know that that broker understands that that product or, or, or that service that they're doing, whether it's private lending, construction lending. Um, you know, uh, that being said, um, we actually work with a lot of residential brokers that, that sort of use us as a partner for them uh, to do all of their private commercial and construction stuff. Uh, so, you know, I, it's horses for courses. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to say to anyone, you know, don't use a standard resi broker because there are some very good ones out there. I know, I know for a fact, I know uh, a number of brokers that do everything from home loans to business loans, and they're some of the best commercial and construction uh, riders in the country. So I'm never going to say don't deal with them. Um, but just from my, my perspective, I, I just feel that, you know, a specialist uh, is exactly that. They're a specialist. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, if people want to find out more about you or about your business, where should they head to, Fabian? Yeah, look, the, the best way to catch me is probably on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you want to uh, just connect with me on LinkedIn, um, I'm sure you'll put my, my name uh, in, in the description. So yeah, LinkedIn, direct message me. Uh, otherwise, you can just catch me by email. All my contact details are on LinkedIn though. And your website address is? Yeah, www.ccapital.org. Awesome. Well, I know that you do put a lot of good content up on uh, LinkedIn and also on your website explaining different parts of, uh, of lending. So, people are interested, they can head over there and, and check out that content and learn a little bit more about the finance side of the game. Yeah, no, definitely. Appreciate that. Well... Fabian, thank you so much for being on the Property Developer Podcast and sharing your knowledge and insight into private lending. It's been really awesome talking to you about it. No worries, Justin. Thank you very much for having me. All right. We'll catch you soon. No worries. Take care. See ya. Bye. 
Okay, there you go. An interesting conversation about alternative ways to get your next project funded. It has been challenging getting pre-sales in the past few years, but things were improving until the coronavirus struck and the world has changed again. So now we are back in a tough environment for pre-sales, so private capital may become even more helpful over the coming years. So here's three things I took away from my discussion with Fabian. One, look to work with private lenders who have a good track record. You want to be sure that you are partnering with a funder that has a good track record on seeing projects through. In the same way that a builder going bust during construction causes major headaches, a lender becoming insolvent or disappearing during construction would also be a massive problem. So make sure they have enough liquidity and experience to complete the project. You need to do your own due diligence on who you may be working with. Two, determine if your property development project would benefit from private capital. While the funding costs may be higher when using non-bank capital, the higher cost may be offset by speed to market. Instead of waiting around for an extra 12 months to make pre-sales, you could be out of the ground and well on your way to completion, which means you can cash out sooner and work on that next project. So, your velocity of projects could increase through paying higher costs, but your overall return is better as you turn projects over faster. Three, work with someone who has good experience in non-bank lending. As Fabian said, the non-bank market is largely unregulated, so you're far more exposed if things go wrong. So it would be prudent to work with someone that has experience working with trusted groups and can advise you on the best course to take. Trying to work directly with unknown groups could be a very risky approach. Alright, I hope you enjoyed that finance chat with Fabian DeMarco. If you want to hear more construction finance discussions, go back and take a listen to episode 56 where I talk with the guys from Holden Capital about how you can get yourself positioned for a tight lending market. They had this advice for how to be proactive during times of uncertainty. They're out there constantly talking to everybody in their sector who has an opinion, listening to it and evaluating it. So they're not, they're not just sitting back and, and sort of reading the newspapers. They're actually out there at the grassroots. They're talking to investors. They're talking to buyers. They're talking to agents, valuers, um, you know, quantity surveyors, builders, and just asking the right questions. There is plenty of useful tips and advice in that episode, so go back to 56 of the Property Developer Podcast. Okay, don't forget, if you are interested in learning how to develop property, then email me about the Property Developing Mentoring Program that is available to help you get started. It's nothing like a guiding hand to show you the best way when you're starting out. So email justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com and I'll send you some further information. You can also catch me on Insta and Facebook for all my latest project pics and videos. You can also post a comment on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And of course, all the past episodes of the show can be found at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. So until next time, may all your projects get funding quickly so you can get started sooner. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.